Hello, and welcome to the Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis Show, aired every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Kat Cannabis is the international best-selling author of Surviving Cancerland, Intuitive Aspects of Healing, and host of Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod TV Show. Together, we will explore cutting-edge insights and philosophies in health, wealth, and relationships. Cat's guests will be ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Now, here is your host, Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Welcome to the show tonight, everyone. We have uh, two fabulous guests for you. Uh, we have with us um, Lynn K. Russell. She's going to be our first guest. And our second guest is Dr. Kathy Kemper. So, Lynn, after being a single parent for 25 years and a family counselor for over 28, Lynn became an author. But there's much more to the story. As a young child, like age seven, Lynn was assessed as retarded and put into special classes. The Opportunity, with a capital O, Opportunity Class that taught skills. All her life, Lynn was treated as though she were slow and stupid and just figured it was true. So let's bring Lynn on and ask her about this because she is anything but slow. Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you very much, Kathy. This is wonderful. So, Lynn, um, you know, you you never really passed through grade eight, and, and you took right. course classes uh, for grade uh, ten. So, tell us a little bit about your your elementary school years. How in the world did you get uh, your your diploma? Well, how I got out of uh, opportunity class was that my family moved to an area where there, they didn't have that. And so um, I was put into a regular class stream and uh, managed right through until grade 8. But at grade 8, I was now 16, where most kids would be 13, 14. I was quite a bit older. And so, of course, at 16, I quit. I quit school. And uh, I became a hairdresser and uh, worked at that for a few years. And there were some wonderful experiences I had with that. And became an instructor, a uh, hairdressing instructor. But, but all this time, I still considered myself retarded. And so what I wanted to do was I pretended that I was smart. I would, you know, be able to talk to people about things or to accomplish things. But that was only because I was pretending. <laughs> Which I oh, my hard. goodness. So you pretended to be smart, and then, by golly, by George, you were. So what in the world made people think that you were retarded in the first place? I think probably I, I am a DD. I'm a daydreamer. I, I uh, you know, get off. Well, not anymore. I mean, I'm much better than I used to be. But, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a daydreamer, and I'm also a little dyslexic. Um, words, I mix things up, on, you know, on the page very often. As a matter of fact, I even type backwards sometimes. <laughs> so that sounds like a gift to me. But our next guest coming on after you, Dr. Kathy Kemper, actually wrote a book about natural uh, treatments for ADD. So, you know, I hope our listening audience stays uh, on and, and listens to that as well. But that is such an amazing story, Lynn. So because you were you, you were maybe a little dyslexic, which who isn't, by the way? I mean, I do that myself. I'm ambidextrous. Sometimes I pick up my pencil in the wrong hand and start to write and go, God, what is that gobbledygook? And then I realize I've got it in the wrong hand. So, you know, actually, I, I think you were just really normal, but isn't it amazing how sometimes it's really hard to shake off a label when yes. it is taped to us like that or pinned to our shirt by the, the authorities? And and the thing is that when I became separated and went back to school, I was terrified because I didn't know how to make decisions because all my life, my other people had made decisions for me. So it was very terrifying 
for the first few years. But it was it was also wonderful. I mean, I learned and grew, and that's been fabulous. So let's go back to to kind of that time. You you began dating, and and you you wrote to me that you wanted to marry really well, but you believed that no one would want you. So you just started reading books on mythology, psychology, philosophy, and studying various religions. And, oh, my gosh, someone who really did have learning disabilities or deficits to the point where they considered them, you know, we don't even use the term mentally retarded anymore, but if they did consider them that, they certainly wouldn't be reading mythology, psychology, and philosophy. So, well, so I just um, wanted to be able to talk to people. <laughs> See, in my brain, I wasn't smart. I was just, I was just doing this so that I could get through. And so you pretended that you were smart when you were on your dates, right? Because you you wanted to really marry well, and you felt that nobody would marry you or date you if they if they thought that you were not smart, right? That's that's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> and now, so now then, funny. <laughs> go ahead. No, I just laugh. I think the whole situation is very funny. You know, it, I mean, it is. I mean, here you are. A smart yeah. person who's been labeled as being mentally challenged, acting like you're smart, pretending like you're smart, and actually being smart. You know, you can't pretend that you're smart if you're not. You can pretend that you're not smart if you are smart, but you can't right. do it the other way around. So now right. we're going to fast forward a little bit, Lynn, and you married an alcoholic who actually beat you and resulted yeah. in a nervous breakdown. At age yeah. 31. So walk us through that a little bit. How did that happen? How did you end up marrying an alcoholic without without seeing that this person possibly had um, a drinking problem? Oh, well, I think I was in a lot of denial, like as far as his drinking. I thought it was just what kids do, did, you know, when they're single, you go out and you drink and you have a good time, and that he would settle down when he got married, you know. I was a daydreamer. Anyway, um, but the other thing is that he also had a degree. He was uh, he was an engineer. So I thought, well, he's inter- he's you know intelligent. He's got a good degree. He could look after the family and yeah. So that was I didn't see it. I didn't see the drinking at all. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, though, you, you said that, that uh, this was the best thing that ever happened to you. How, tell, tell me about that. How do you figure that being married to an alcoholic who beat you and resulted in a nervous breakdown, how was that the best thing that ever happened to you? I think the best part of it was that I had a nervous breakdown um, and that I wound up in the hospital because while I was in the hospital, that's when they did the, the tests and found out. Because I told the psychologist that I was retarded, and he said, what? <laughs> You're not <laughs> retarded. And I said, yes, I am, you know, and I told him the story, and he said, I want to I wanna take, I want to do a, a re, um, an IQ test on you. And so I said, yes, he could do that as long as he gave me the results. And so at the end of it, he said, you're university material. So that was, that was part of it. The other thing, part of it was that, that um, the hospital, the psychologist and the psychiatrist and the nurses all supported that I leave my bad marriage and go on on my own. And that was, that was very helpful as well. You know, and and I believe there was some real truth in that, that without that happening, maybe you would still to this day think that that you were mentally challenged when, in fact, you were not. So then you acquired a job in the family therapy program at the Alberta Children's Hospital. And uh, so tell us what happened when, when, when you did that. This was after you, actually, this was shortly after you got out of the hospital. You packed up your kids and you left town, right? Yes, and I went back to school. Um, because I didn't trust myself to to know that whether I really could learn this well or not, um, I 
took home studies, and I, I just sent away to uh, the Board of Education in Ontario. To uh, I just sent away and asked for grade 10 math and grade 11 English. And so they sent me them, and I was doing home studies, and I was getting such fat, fabulous marks. I couldn't believe it. So I said, uh, forget this. I'm, I'm going to college <laughs> So I, this is a, this I think was, you know how you have those things that are just meant to be. I think mm-hmm. this was meant to be because I walked into the college, I had no papers, nothing, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was standing at the registrar, you know, talking. I said, I want to come here, and um, they, it, this was a community college, and I said, I want to come here, and they said, um, well, what? Papers have you got, or you know your your printouts from from high school, and um, I said I don't have anything, you know. And so there was this man. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> so there was this man that was standing there listening to this. His name was Ralph Howlett, <clears throat> and Ralph was standing there listening. And he he just walked in and he said, you know, took over and he said, um, follow me. And so he took me to an empty classroom, and he said, tell me your story. I told him my story, and he said, you're in. And that was it. <laughs> That's fabulous. So those of you yeah. just tuning in now, maybe tuning in late, we have Lynn K. Russell with us. And what makes her story so profound is that she had been assessed as being, in her own words, retarded. Uh, when she was a young child, and she was put in the opportunity class and only taught skills. And while she was in these classes being only taught skills, she decided to act smart so that she could marry well and have good relationships with people. And by golly, by George, when she married poorly because her husband was an alcoholic and he beat her while she was in the hospital recovering from one of her beatings. They retested her and found that she had a very high IQ. And that's where we are right now, where she has gone into a, um, a, a college uh, and she's signing up for classes and they've asked her, well, where are, where, where is your uh, degree from high school? And she said, well, you know, I don't have one. But they took her anyhow. So now um, you got a job in uh, the family therapy program at Alberta at Alberta Children's Hospital. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think again that wasn't supposed to be. I was not supposed to have a family counseling job. I was supposed to be one of the assistants to the family counselors. But we had a man. Uh, the the boss, who was um, a university professor who happened to teach family therapy. And so every week we got lessons, we got lectures, and we, we were attached to um, another family therapy program, and they were bringing in really big names, you know, uh, in, in the field. So I just got vast, vast amount of training. Uh, in family therapy and wound up working with families. So it was wonderful. And in the end, I was uh, operating at a master's level. That's amazing. And so your therapy was on family therapy and child sexual abuse, which that's a difficult field to go into and not get burned out. But you you probably, you know, uh, the fact that the, the family therapy and understanding what those children went through, although, you know, your abuse was more mental and you had the physical abuse when you were married, still that gave you a tremendous amount of knowledge from which to pull uh, for the experience that you needed. So for over 25 years, you worked as as a family counselor and you retired in 2005. And she says she loves to challenge herself to see where her limit is, and today you haven't found one. But that brings us to now, because Lynn is now the author of The Wonder of You, What the Near-Death Experiences Tells You About yourself. So Lynn, what prompted you to write this book? Well, I I was online 
I decided when I retired that I was going to be a, a, an author. I was going to write. And so I was researching one of the books that I thought I would like to write. And I went to a near-death site, which was N-D-E-R-F, which is Near-Death Re- Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, and that's uh, owned by Dr. Jeffrey Long and his wife, Jody. And so I loved it there. <laughs> I got a little sidetracked from my, um, from my research, and uh, I was on the chat line, and Dr. Long asked for a volunteer to do research for um, near-death experiences for his future book, which was... Um, Evidence of the afterlife, and um, and so I I did the research for that, and I loved it, and I just was so thrilled. I knew about near death experiences. I had read about them. Every book I could get my hands on, but but when I when Doctor Long when I got to read twenty five hundred, you know, it was just I couldn't stop. I just loved them. And I just gobbled the information. And why it why was because the messages that were being brought back were so beautiful and were so reinforcing for us, you know. And I wanted to tell everybody how beautiful they really were. And so, so tell us, uh, get, you know, share with us one of some of the research that that you had for those people who haven't read your book yet. Uh, and I'm sure that this is all in your book. Give us an example of some of the information that you found out about life after death. Okay, well, the first thing that that I was pleased about was that almost everyone felt a oneness and unbelievable love. They were just surrounded with with just this deep, deep love, and more love than they can ever describe. Repeatedly, they keep saying uh, that the love they felt was was so amazing that that there's just no words for it um and so and so that's one of the things the other thing is that they feel connected to the universe they feel connected with everyone and everything and all uh, all the um ill feelings and anger it's all gone it's all gone and it's just a beautiful um, experience, and then I learned about that how we take an intricate part of of creating, you know, because we're part of the light, and and that's one of the other things that happens is that the people go to this beautiful, magnificent light, and uh, they're just overwhelmed with love. And they have um, a life review sometimes, some of them do, some don't. And the ones that have a life review learn that um, their actions and how their actions reverberate back on to not only the person that they've been in contact with, but, uh, you know, to the people that that person has connected and how it's affected that person's life. And, And that can be their jobs, the other people they know. It just keeps going. That was that was just wonderful. And the other thing I learned was that that we are soul, we are spirit. We live. This is it. This person that's talking is soul talking, and uh, mm-hmm. and we are spirit. We are soul. In the oneness. Yeah, yeah so that, that that oneness that you were talking about. So it's interesting how uh, I think one of the most interesting things that you just pointed out is how our our actions here now on the on the earth plane have a reverberating effect on on everybody else that we come in contact with and what we do and say to them i think that that you know we really need to focus on that point that you just made because if we keep that in our mind maybe we would think before we said hurtful things to other people yeah. because can have on them is something that they can take with them to the other side and and people who have had the life review and near and near death experiences come back kinder, caring. You know, they they're out there trying so hard to help others, and that's wonderful. What a what a what a thing to come back to do. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? They come back kinder because they've had a chance to sit down with uh, the lights from the other side, the spirit guides. Uh, 
and and and, and, and realize yes to mm-hmm. learn the effect of their behavior how how it reverber and use that as a learning yeah mhm Mhm. So, can you give us an example um with all the research you did? Can you give us a little story maybe about uh how what happened to somebody that they went they had a near death experience and how that affected them and is are any of these stories in your book? Oh, they're all in my book. Well, the ones that I mean, I have I have tons in my book, but not all 2,500. <laughs> but the main points, you know, just to make a point. For example, were they really dead? People are always asking, like, uh, well, was it just a dream or an imagination or something like that? And and people came back. They had woken up in the in the morgue, um, and one fellow was in oh the drawer. Oh, my gosh. Yes, and one woman was laying on the on the table. Um, her brother-in-law had just come to to um, identify her, and she started crying because she knew that she, she couldn't move, and she was she had come back into her body. But another one was a little girl who was, uh, I think she's thirteen, and she um, she came back and she was in rigor mortis. So that now why I bring up those things are because when the doctors are arguing, medical people are arguing against their near-death experience. They're always talking about things that only last a minute or two. You know, the breakdown of the brain or the medic, the um, um, chemistries in the brain that only lasts for a couple of minutes. That wouldn't last for hours, or you know, and the. The longest one recorded is three days, that he was dead for three days. And he's uh, famous. Nazareth in the Bible, he was dead for three days in Jesus. So, oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, so go on. So uh, you have this child with rigor mortis who wakes up. And in order to have rigor mortis, I mean, you've got to be dead for a while. Is that right? Yes. And so what happened was that her blood was coagulating and it wasn't she she went she said it was extremely painful to get the blood to flow through her body again you know it was it's a it's there's lots of those kind of stories there's one story um one of the things i do want to talk about is there's no punishment or evil or or hell that there, that's a myth um we 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 have come from the light and because we have come from the light the light cannot discipline or punish or harm itself uh, you know it would be like us being mad at our foot because we did something wrong you know or a big toe or something i mean it just it just doesn't fit so um no we don't get punished but that doesn't mean to say they don't learn lessons from their experience, and that, of course, is the uh, life review. So, in a way, if you know, that's a profound thought that you just said. We come from the light, and we return to the light, and there is no punishment in the light. It's all a lesson that we learn here as a soul in a body on the earth plane. So in a way, it's almost, in a way, it's almost like our hell is here on earth, what we do to ourselves while we're here. It's not after we have died. It's what's going on here and the hell that we put other people through and how it affects the, the people that they come in contact with. So it's almost like that hell is contagious and and you know because we come from this light and go back to that light there can be no punishment in the light only a a coming together emotionally and and mentally and spiritually of the things that we did on the earth yes. plane oh my yes, gosh that, that is so profound yeah, it's a beautiful message, and that's one of the reasons why I had to write the book for those kind of messages, because the book is full of that, you know, um, how it all connects to our everyday life and and how um, death affects us here now. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, and, and you did all, all this research that you got and all of this information that's in your book, a lot of it is what you, you were introduced to when you were doing all the primary research for Dr. Jeff Long, MD, for his book called Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences. So you had uh, a pretty good background by the time you started to do your own book here, right? Oh, yes, yes. I was, yes, I was finished my research by the time I started the book. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you, again, just tuning in, this is Lynn Russell, and she is the author of The Wonder of You, What the Near-Death Experience Tells You About Yourself. Now, Lynn, where can we go to, to get your book? Um, my book is available online, um, and it's also available uh, through Amazon and Kindle and uh, Barnes & Noble, and in Canada, um, Chapters or Indigo, whichever. Those mm-hmm. are some places. Mm-hmm. So, again, for those of you listening, the name of the book is The Wonder of You, What the Near-Death Experience Tells You About Yourself. Now, do you have a website as well, Lynn? Yes, I do. It's LynnKathleenRussell.com. Really okay, hard. and that's <laughs> L-Y-N-N. And Kathleen, which is my name also, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N, Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L dot com. So, um, Lynn, we are down to our last uh, four minutes. So what thought would you like to leave our audience with? I would like people to know how beautiful they really are. I would like to have people stop picking on themselves and saying, oh, I'm not good at this, or I'm, you know, all the negative stuff that they've grown with or grown up with or whatever, um, maybe they didn't, but but the negativity, uh, I just really wish people would look at themselves as a beautiful soul, because that is what we are. Oh, that's a beautiful thought. And again, you know, Lynn was labeled as retarded when she was little, and she believed them, and she acted (laughs) like she was smart until she got retested in the hospitals when she was beaten up by her alcoholic husband and found that she had a very high IQ. And I think that just proves that labels can limit people so be yourself do not be a label and uh you know let's take a little page out of lynn's book here when you think that you can't do something act like you can and surprise yourself when you do so lynn i really want to you for being on the show with us today and um i believe lynn is going to come back and be on my skype radio show and i will post all of that on my facebook page which is kathleen o'keefe cannabis uh on facebook so stay tuned and we're going to have lynn back lynn thank you so much for being with us today thank you for the opportunity and thank you to your audience for listening Thank you. Don't go away because our second guest is on the line now, Dr. Kathy Kemper, and she is going to be talking about the book that she just wrote, Authentic Healing, A Practical Guide for Caregivers. So we'll be back right after the commercial break. Hey, Jenna, have you seen the TV show Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod on Channel 99? OMG, I love that show. It's with Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. She's an international best-selling author and Lori Boyle, the CEO of Lori Boyle Media. Right. They're hosting a personal development seminar, Retreat for the Soul. It's about your dreams, meditation, healing, and the subconscious mind. Ooh. It sounds fun. And rejuvenating. Let's go. Where do we sign up? Their website, wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. 
Did you know that you can use your own radio show to promote your business and become a celebrity in your area or industry? Do you have a great idea for a radio show or a passion that you would like to share with other like-minded people? The Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod Radio and TV hosts Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis and Lori Boyle will show you how. Go to wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. Do you have a great story to tell or do you want to write your memoir? Best-selling author Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis and Lori Boyle, CEO of Lori Boyle Media, are the hosts of the Wicked Housewives on Cape Cod TV and radio shows. Join their Writer's Workshop Intensive to get writing and get published. Go to wickedhousewivesoncapecod.com. So our next guest is Dr. Kathy Kemper. And Dr. Kathy Kemper is the director of the Center for Integrative Medicine, I'm sorry, Integrative Health and Wellness at Ohio State University and has served on the faculty of the University of Washington, Yale, and Harvard University and has founded three centers for integrative medicine and is the author of four books, her current being Authentic Healing, A Practical Guide for Caregivers. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kathy Kemper. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I've got to tell you, I just loved all the things that you are doing uh, with pediatrics and with holistic medicine and um, the fact that you have, I was blown away by the fact that you've actually published over 160 peer-reviewed research papers. I I thank you so much. When do you find time to practice? (laughs) (laughs) I think we find the things uh, we find the time to do the things that we love the most in life. And of course I love seeing children. I'm a pediatrician, but I also love discovering new things and writing about them so that other people can share that joy of learning too. So you actually founded three centers for integrative medicine. One was at Boston Boston Children's Hospital, the other one was at Wake Forest University, and the third one was at Ohio State University. How were these, sim- these, these centers similar or different? Each one was different. Uh, I was recruited to start the center at Boston Children's Hospital in 1998, a couple of years after my first book, The Holistic Pediatrician, was published. And that center really focused on educating pediatricians about how to use integrative therapies to help children. Um, We were the first to introduce acupuncture and massage and healing touch into a children's hospital in the U.S., and we were training doctors at Harvard about how to do integrative medicine. Um, Then I went to Wake Forest where I was able to work with physicians who were not just pediatricians, but physicians who were taking care of adults, neurologists, and orthopedic surgeons, and others. And the main focus there was doing research and promoting research in integrative medicine. And then I was lucky enough to be recruited to The Ohio State University in 2012 to um, start the Center for Integrative Health and Wellness, which was a university-wide center um, that included Uh, colleagues in the colleges of pharmacy and social work and nursing, in addition to the College of Medicine and all the hospitals, and have a very active clinic. So at Ohio State, we have activities in clinical care, both inpatient and outpatient, children and adults. We have education. There's an undergraduate minor in integrative medicine, as well as a very active medical student group and dietetic students and psychology students and social work students and pharmacy students. Um, We have ongoing training online for health professionals, and we also have a lot of research going on, and that's what results in the peer-reviewed publications. Wow. Wow. So you've also, along with with these 160 peer-reviewed research papers, you've written four books. The first one is uh, The Holistic Pediatrician. Tell us a little bit about that book. That book happened in the 1990s when I directed the, um, a, a children's clinic at the University of Washington at Harborview Medical Center, and we took care of lots of patients from around the world whose mothers would come in with their home remedies 
Often they were herbs in little Ziploc baggies, and they wanted to be, you know, modern Americans. And they said, this is what my mother gave me and my grandmother gave her. Is this okay from an American medicine standpoint? And, of course, most of the time I had never heard of any of the things that they were bringing me, and I decided the fairest thing to do would be to find out what the evidence was behind all these different home remedies and apply the same standard of evidence to all different kinds of therapies for common conditions. And what I learned ended up being the book, The Holistic Pediatrician, which is a pediatrician and family guide to the 25 most common childhood conditions. And we're about to come out with the 20th anniversary edition of that book in October. HarperCollins is publishing an updated version, completely revised, four new chapters, and that will be coming out October 5th from HarperCollins. Oh, that is exciting. So give us an example of one holistic uh, medicine that you've got in your book that, that, that worked, that, that you have confidence in. Well, I'll tell you something that's catching on a lot now. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is the use of fish oil to help with depression. Now, this wasn't in the first edition because depression wasn't in the first edition, but depression and anxiety have become so common, they're in the new edition. And fish oil, um, uh, countries that eat a lot of fish have low rates of depression. That was an epidemiologic observation that was made years and years ago, and researchers started giving people fish oil extracts because the brain has brain cells that require omega-3 fatty acids that are found in fish and uh, walnuts and other uh, natural substances that are important in brain development. And about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, formula companies started adding these omega-3 fatty acids to formulas. And now psychiatrists are finding omega-3 fatty acids are very powerful in helping people maintain healthy moods. And so they're becoming almost routine in pediatrics and in psychiatry for people suffering from depression and anxiety. So that's Mm -hmm. one. Another one is the use of probiotics or healthy bacteria, Mm -hmm. which used to be thought of as an alternative remedy, but now is used in uh, GI clinics, not only for things like irritable bowel syndrome, but also to help prevent very serious infections like necrotizing enterocolitis in premature babies. So these things that used to be considered complementary and alternative are moving into the mainstream, and that's really what integrative medicine is all about, is combining the best of remedies from complementary, alternative, and and conventional care to help a person achieve their unique health goals. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that probiotic is so important because one of my cats right now has got a really bad sinus infection and she had to go on to antibiotics. And I knew for a fact that as soon as she went on to those, she was going to have massive diarrhea. And guess what? Mommy was going to have to clean it up no matter where it happened. So I took some baby food and I mixed yogurt in with it, which she would lap up. And although she's taken the antibiotics, we have not had any bowel problems so you know i i think that sometimes when you take holistic medicine and you mix it in with conventional medicine you have a healing that's greater than the sum of its individual parts so your next book that you wrote was mental health naturally give us a a, give us the lowdown on that well that uh came about when i was at wake forest and i was working with a wonderful pediatrician dr jane foy who is part of the American Academy of Pediatrics Task Force on Mental Health. Actually, she led that task force. And one day over lunch, I asked her if she was including any integrative therapies in the toolkit for pediatricians on how to help children with mental health conditions. And she said, well, no, is there any evidence behind that? And I said, yes, I think so. Let me pull some articles for you. So I started pulling articles for Dr. Foy and putting them in her mailbox at work. And one day I noticed her mailbox was bulging with articles. She is a very good pediatrician, but very bad at answering her mail. (laughs) And I thought, well, to make this easier for Jane when she finally empties her mail, I will take these articles and put them together so all the articles about probiotics are together, all the articles about 
folic acid are together, all the articles about acupuncture are together, and um, then I'll write little summaries of them. So she can just refer to the summaries, and then she'll have the original research to refer to. Um, at about the same time, I was giving a lecture in Greece at the International Pediatric Association about uh, integrative approaches to depression and started talking to somebody who turned out to be the publisher at the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I casually asked if they would be interested in a book about this. And they said, oh, yes, that would be a great addition to their toolkit. So my little, my little friendly task of helping Jane <laughs> with her job ended up creating a, a little project for me in writing Mental Health Naturally for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Oh, that's amazing. You you go to help somebody else, and, and it ends up being the best thing you could have done for yourself. And then your third book was Addressing ADD Naturally. Um, tell us about that one, because my, my uh, guest that I had on just before you had actually been diagnosed as ADD, along with having been diagnosed as retarded. That you know, Those were her words, retarded, when she was young, when it turned out, when she married an abusive husband who beat her and put her in the hospital, they retested her, gave her an IQ test, and found that, that uh, she was quite bright. So uh, talk about addressing ADD naturally. Well, your guest's experience is actually um, not that uncommon that people who are very bright are labeled as having ADD because they're bored with conventional education. But the the... Uh, behind that book is another story of a friend. So a friend of mine had a bright child who was diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, and she said, Kathy, you know, it's really hard to have time to read a book when you're a busy working mom. Can you please, I know this Mental Health Naturally book is great. It has all these resources in it, but I don't have time to read a big, long book like that. Can you just pull out everything that's relevant to ADD and write a short, simple, practical book for parents on ADD? So, again, it was a favor for a friend um, whose daughter is now a beautiful adult who travels internationally and is doing great work around the world and is a gift to the world, as many people with ADD are. Wow, that's beautiful. And that brings us to your latest book, which is Authentic Healing, A Practical Guide for Caregivers. So this is the first book that you actually did for caregivers. Well, all of the books are for um for parents who are the primary caregivers for children, mm-hmm. but this is can also be used by caregivers who are professionals, health professionals, or caregivers of a spouse or other loved one with a chronic condition or a debilitating condition like Alzheimer's or cancer or something like that. So tell us the nexus behind this book, because all the other books you wrote that are doing so well, <laughs> you were trying to help other people out, and then it turned into your book. Is that what happened with this one? This is the book I wish I'd had when I started medical school. Um, this book has been about 40 years in the making. Um, it started with an interest in healing, which actually predated my interest in medicine, because I was interested in the spiritual aspects of healing and our deep connection to one another and how we can help one another simply by our presence and knowing who we are and how we are with each other, as well as what we can do and the herbs or medications we can take and that sort of thing. It has much more to do with being a healing presence and the mystery involved in human relationships and deeply knowing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that brings us, you know, that brings me to another question. Although you graduated as a doctor and you really went you really went to medical school to be a healer rather than a conventional doctor. So so why? Well, I wanted to uh, I I saw medicine as really a spiritual journey and learning to know who we are deeply, to know yourselves. And um of course, in medical school, it it can be a spiritual journey, but the major focus is on the external things. And so what I really wanted to do was rediscover that inner purpose, that inner calling, 
that inner truth of who we are as spirit, which is greater than our physical body. And by tapping into that deep sense of peace and well-being, how we can awaken and resonate with that um, inner being of another person and help strengthen their healer within. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've been practicing healing in medicine for more than 30 years. What have you learned as a combination holistic and conventional doctor, because you're one of you're one of the few people I've met, uh, Doctor Kemper, who is actually a holistic healer and a conventional doctor. In that you work in the hospitals, but you are not the doctor that just toes, you know, the 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 medical demands or the practices, or you know, you 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 go beyond the regular doctor. So um, what uh, what have you learned? What I've learned is that the spirit that is within us is greater than our conscious mind. It's greater than our physical bodies. And we're deeply connected beyond our ordinary sense of reality. I'll give you a story that's in the book. And that's the story of a boy I took care of when I was at Boston Children's Hospital who was very, very sick from a serious infection in his liver that had spread to his bloodstream, which is mm-hmm. um, when you have a serious infection that is through your whole body, it's called sepsis. Mm-hmm. And it impairs the entire body's ability to function. And this boy was in a coma in the intensive care unit on a ventilator and um his mother had asked for a healer, and one of the nurses had asked me to come. And as a physician, I didn't really know what I could add to the things he was already receiving. He was getting broad-spectrum antibiotics. He was getting support for his blood pressure and his fluids and everything else. Life support was going on for him. But I started to do the kind of healing work that I had been taught by Dora Coons and Dolores Krieger, um, very gently and not with any words because he was in a coma. And I was doing that daily, and then I had to leave town. And um, I thought while I was out of town, well, I can't be with him in person, but I could continue to work with him from a distance. And so every night after my family went to bed at 10 o'clock, I would meditate on this boy and extend healing energy to him. I would sort of mentally and spiritually connect with him and extend healing energy to him just in the same way as I had when I had been there. And after I got home about a week later, I went to go see him in the hospital. And by then he had moved, so I had to go track him down. He was no longer in the intensive care unit. He was on a regular floor. And I found his room, knocked on the door, and walked in. And he said, well, there you are. You're the doctor who comes to see me at 10 o'clock every night. Mm, how interesting. You come and see me every night at 10 o'clock. You, just, you look just like you do when I'm asleep. So this boy had never seen me with his eyes consciously, and yet he recognized me because of that deep spiritual connection. And that was such a profound affirmation for me of doing this kind of work that we're very deeply connected with each other beyond the physical appearance, the physical connection, and we can have profound beneficial effects on one another at those levels if we can get very quiet and peaceful within ourselves and connect to the part of ourselves that's whole and connected to something greater than ourselves and awaken that part of other people and strengthen that by acknowledging it and recognizing it. That's amazing. And what a what a great story. So as as a, a holistic doctor who practices in a hospital with conventional doctors, what do you find is the most challenging? What is something that you would like to see changed possibly in the near future in our in our hospitals as they are today? Do you dare even comment on that? <laughs> There are so many things, but I think, um, well, I think of a story from the Bible. I have a a Christian background, and I think, 
You know, there's the story of Jesus in the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers. And um, he did that because something that was sacred, the worship of God, had been turned into something fairly profane, which was commerce. And I think that's sadly very true of a lot of hospital-based medicine today. That's something that is very sacred, the connection between healers and patients, has been turned into a corporate profit center. And if there's one thing I would change, it would be to return to the sense of the sacred in the healing relationship between caregivers and suffering patients. Mm-hmm. Now, in your, in your book, uh, you talk about this in-depth knowledge, such as meditation. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little what you mean by that? Well, one How of the ways that... in-depth knowledge? One of the ways we can change the system is to get to know ourselves better and to restore that sense of sacred within ourselves and our relationships with other people. And the best way I know to do that is by practicing meditation. So meditation is a very ancient practice inherent in all different kinds of religions across the world. And it involves quieting the mind, quieting the body, and getting in touch with the deepest, most sacred spirit within ourselves. So uh, so with that in mind, then this book that you've written, Authentic Healing, it's not just for, for physicians, and it's not just for caregivers. It's actually for both. Is that right? It really is. Anybody who's trying to relieve suffering in another human being, this book is for them, because it goes into detailed um, approaches to Um, physical practice, emotional preparation, mental preparation, spiritual preparation, all the different ways you can prepare yourself to be more effective healing presence for another person. Mm -hmm. So it almost sounds, Dr. Kemper, like you are this new breed of physician who combines the best of conventional Western medicine with evidence-informed holistic treatments. In other words, there is nothing woo-woo. In anything that you do, it is information-based and uh, evidence-based. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly right. Very well put. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to give our listening audience right now one thing that they can do for themselves as far as authentic healing goes, what would you suggest? that they do besides get the book <laughs> yeah well but get the book and get and maybe something in the book what is it that they can find in your book or or not to help themselves begin this authentic healing i think the the most important thing is to begin and maintain a meditation practice and do you have any meditations in your book There are many, many kinds of meditation, and many of them are described in this book. So there's focused attention meditation where you can focus on a word, an image, a verse from scripture. There's mindfulness meditation where you focus non-judgmentally on what's happening in this moment. There's guided imagery meditations where you can imagine the light of God entering into your body through your head or through your feet and flowing through you to your heart and extending to your hands. There's um, a variety of kinds of meditative practice, but the most important thing is to make a commitment to doing it and then to do it consistently every day. So you're saying that, you know, I I do meditate every single day. I my way of meditating is to meditate at night. Now, I know some people like to meditate in the morning or in the afternoon, or they just choose a time where they can if they have a busy schedule that that is not conducive to having a specific time and the reason I do it at night is because if I fall asleep during my meditation I'm falling asleep in a state of grace when those doors are open to our spirit guides and the other side where I'm asking my spirit guides and and my my greater power to help me stay aligned and stay healed and so I think that what you're saying Dr. Dr. Kathy Kemper, is that there is no one specific meditation for everyone that we can find one that fits 
our needs, and they're right here in your book. They're only a, a fingertip away once, uh, once people get your book, Authentic Healing, A Practical Guide for Caregivers. The answers are in there. That's very well said. I'm a morning meditator myself because I like to get myself in that frame of mind for the day. Um, but I think that you're exactly right. It can be morning, it could be evening, it could be both, it could be during your lunch hour. When I was a very busy working single mom, I would set the alarm and wake myself up at 2 in the morning so I could meditate in the middle of the night so I wouldn't be disturbed. So, you know, any time is the right time for you. And there are a variety of kinds of practices, and if you, you can try one. If that doesn't work, there's another one, and you just find the one that works for you. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I really loved about your book, Authentic Healing, is it reminds us that the, the art of healing itself, you know, not just doctors, not just hospitals, but the art of healing really is alive and it's well and that um, through what you do with the type of of authentic healing that you do it's it's going back to the basics when it comes to practicing medicine and so it's it goes beyond diagnosing disease and dispensing pills because I don't know about you Dr. Kemper but I talk to people all the time who tell me I've gone to this doctor that doctor and that doctor and a whole string of uh, of hospitals, and they tell me that they can't diagnose my condition. They don't know what it is. And every doctor has a different set of pills that they want me to, to take, or they want to do exploratory surgery. So through your book, what you're saying is you, you kind of focus on what it is your body is telling you, and then you find the solution to that set of problems. So if you had a patient, uh, Dr. Kemper, who came in and said, you know, I have, I, I've had 20 different um, diagnoses for the pain in my stomach, and nobody seems to know what it is, how would you help them to resolve this crisis? I think... Um one of the things that can be very helpful is focusing on the goal rather than the problem. So mm-hmm. if somebody has a stomach ache, what they want to do is what they, they want to be is comfortable. They want to be at ease. And so once you start thinking, what is it that I want in my life? What do I want the most in my life? What do I want to manifest in my life right now? What do I want to manifest in the next year, in the next five years, ten years whatever, but you start thinking about goals, then your mind opens up and it becomes very receptive to a variety of solutions to achieving that goal. Um, You know, I've had patients who say, you know, I have stomach ache and it never goes away, I'm always in pain. And I say, well, okay, so your goal is to be more comfortable, to have a comfortable stomach. Are there ever any circumstances in which your stomach feels good? Well, When I'm holding my niece or my nephew, my new baby niece or nephew who's a newborn, I I don't feel my pain. Or, you know what, if I don't drink milk, I don't have pain. It could be a variety of different things that people start to notice that they feel better. Mm -hmm. And so your body gives you the clues and your mind gives you the clues once you open it up to the possibility of achieving your goal. So I think it's really for people to think about what their goals are and sometimes it's you know it's hard to do when you're in suffering so it's mm-hmm. helpful to have somebody else who can be a calm reassuring presence who can be hopeful about the ability to achieve those goals and that's what being a healing presence is about is about being that person who can be there for other people who can remember that there is a peaceful whole complete being who's who's well, who can achieve those goals, who can have those goals. And the way is possible if we can quiet ourselves enough to listen to the voice within. Oh, that's perfect. So, uh, Dr. Kemper, how can people find your books? It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, and it's available at AuthenticHealing.info. And it's available Great. as a paper and as an ebook. 
Oh, so, you know, you should have no trouble finding this book whatsoever. And again, it is Authentic Healing for a Guide for Caregivers by Dr. Kathy, K-A-T-H-I-J, period, Kemper, K-E-M-P-E-R. I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us today, Dr. Kemper. It's been wonderful having you on, and we hope to have you come back and maybe delve a little deeper into all of these uh, aspects of healing. It would be a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis Show. If you would like to comment or have an idea for the show or have a question for Kat or one of her guests, please visit her on Facebook at Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. This show and previous shows are archived on Blog Talk Radio, accessible from survivingcancerland.com and accessyourinnerguide.com. Join us again next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Until then, have a great week.